This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 95. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. If you've done any sort of research on index investing and ETFs, then I'm almost certain you would have heard of Vanguard before, as they are one of the pioneers in this space. They have a very impressive, massive following in the U.S. and have really established themselves in Canada as well, where they are the third largest ETF provider. And I always wanted to interview them because I'm sure, like you, as one invests, you begin to wonder about certain things when it comes to index investing and ETFs in general. And so I've been accumulating this giant list of questions for them over the years, and it's exciting to finally get a chance to interview them. And I'm sure you'll probably have a lot of the same questions. So I think this will be valuable to you. Now, in this episode, you'll learn about using an asset allocation ETF ETF versus buying individual ETFs? What are the pros and cons? And at what point should you make the switch, if at all? Is it okay to have a home country bias in our portfolios as Canadians? And if so, why? Vanguard has done a lot of research on this, so I wanted to get their take. And should we consider also owning a retirement income ETF to generate that cash flow when we're in retirement versus just owning a total market index portfolio and selling off a portion of it periodically to live off our portfolio. We cover all that and much, much more in an interview with Tim Hoover, who is the head of distribution for Vanguard Canada. And just a really quick announcement before we get into the interview, ETF Market Insights is putting on a live free investor education event this month that I think you'll find really interesting. I've been asked to host one of the live talks, which is on building a strong foundation with broad market ETFs, which by the way, is literally all that I invest in. So that'll be fun. And I'll be joined by Graham McKenzie, who with his team actually run the Toronto Stock Exchange. So really, really neat. And Alfred Lee from BMO ETFs will be there too. Definitely. Definitely a subject matter expert when it comes to this area. Now, the event is called Fall into ETF Investing. It'll be streaming on YouTube Live and on GoToWebinar. So definitely come join us. It's all online and free to attend. It's coming up really soon. The first group of sessions is on October 21st, 2022. And the second group of sessions, which is the one that I'm in, is on October 28th. So get the details and links to join for free over at Build Wealth Canada dot ca slash fall as in fall into etf investing that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash fall f-a-l-l all right i hope to see you there and now let's get into the interview all right tim welcome to the show thank you for having me tim asset allocation etfs have become incredibly popular here in canada so i thought we could start our conversation there so first, for anybody just getting started in DIY investing, can you briefly explain what asset allocation ETFs actually are? Sure. And when we look at our asset allocation ETFs, they are all in one ETFs. And what we mean by that is that traditionally looked at the ETF marketplace, you would see ETFs, whether they were equity or fixed income, that provided a single exposure to a market. And so you think about, you know, an ETF that holds Canadian equities or Canadian bonds or international equities or international bonds. You had single exposures within the marketplace offered to investors. And with the asset allocation ETFs, we saw an opportunity to really package those underlying ETFs, those exposures into a single ETF to provide an all-in-one portfolio for investors. And so it does provide balanced exposure. So a mix of both equities and fixed income bonds. They are globally diversified. They're well-balanced. They're low-cost portfolios. They can serve as the whole of a portfolio and, and be the entire portfolio or holding for an investor. Or they can also be used as the core. And investors can then add on different exposures around that core. So it's really our best thinking around constructing a portfolio, packaging that into an ETF. And the rebalancing is handled by our investment teams. And so that really takes that burden off of investors and ensures that they are invested in line with 
their asset allocation, their selected asset allocation. And so those come in different flavors. We have five asset allocation ETFs, and they match the risk horizon of that end investor. So it may be 100% equity, and you'd be able to select that asset allocation ETF. It may be 60-40, 60% equity, 40% fixed income. They can select that ETF, and we would rebalance, and even conservative, so 20% equity and 80% fixed income. And so really, aligned to risk tolerances, set it and forget it approach with global diversification. So it will hold within the global markets over 95% of the investable market cap. And we're talking about, if you take, let's just say the 60-40 ETF, it will hold over 25,000 fixed income securities as well as equities. So very, very broadly diversified, very low cost, and really forms a, a sound an enduring portfolio that investors can access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been a big fan of asset allocation ETFs now for a while and really singing their praises pretty consistently across the board. I'm really a big fan of how it makes DIY investing so much more accessible to Canadians, especially those just getting started. Not to say it's only for Canadians that are just getting started, because I've been doing this for many years now and I still use it you know, for the RESP. But I mean, I can see there being so much paralysis analysis in the beginning, right? If someone's like, okay, I've heard of these extremely high fee mutual funds where I'm paying two plus percent MER, that's ridiculous. There's clearly better options out there. And then they sort of go down that rabbit hole of DIY, total market index investing, but it can easily get overwhelming pretty quickly, right? Because it's like, okay, well, which ETFs do I pick for Canada? Which one for US? Which one for international? Which one for bonds? And then, okay, now I have to learn how to rebalance. What if you're not very savvy with a spreadsheet, right? So there's this whole kind of thing where it's easy to, I think, procrastinate on for someone just getting started because there's all these different variables, right? And these different little decisions you have to make, and they can have such a monumental impact on your retirement savings, on your kid's education fund, the whole thing. So yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of the asset allocation ETFs. And I'm sure you've noticed in the Canadian investing community in general, whether it's podcasts, blogs, the news, et cetera, it's been a very, very positive reception for asset allocation ETFs. There has been, we've seen widespread adoption of the products. They are some of the most popular products in the marketplace by both do-it-yourself investors and advisors as well that may be using that in addition to other products or investments in that core satellite type of approach that I talked about. But you mentioned it, it really does embed those principles of long-term investment success, of diversification, of low cost, of discipline, in terms of the rebalancing that automatically happens for investors. And so they have been, for those reasons, very, very popular, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm, For sure. And one of the key appeals of asset allocation ETFs for many Canadians is that, like you already mentioned, the funds within the ETF are automatically rebalanced. And so therefore, the DIY investors don't need to use the tools or a spreadsheet to do this themselves. How often are the Vanguard asset allocation ETFs rebalanced? And when we have something like the large but brief crash from COVID, are the asset allocation ETFs rebalanced at a different interval during such significant events? So the asset allocation ETFs, they will be monitored daily by our investment teams. They are rebalanced regularly to stay within, and and we have a threshold or plus or minus 2% in terms of the intended allocation. So if, let's say, within that 60% equity, 40% fixed income allocation, if that product moves to equities exceeding 62%, fixed income 38%, it will rebalance back to within that tolerance of the 60-40 to make sure that is maintained. So in those periods of heightened and sustained volatility, there may be more rebalancing which we feel is one of the great benefits to investors. It truly is set and forget it. And our global investment teams take care of the rest. That's great to hear. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, we do it every six months or we do it every year. It's not based on that at all. It's actually how much has it moved? Are we off target by a certain percentage? And if it took six months for that to get off course, then okay, then you balance after six months. If it took a day because there's been a sudden gigantic drop in the market or a giant increase, then you basically would do it in that much shorter time span. Is that correct? Exactly. So monitor daily. The goal is to remove any overweights or underweights, unintended biases within the the portfolio by rebalancing back to the set asset allocation 
Um, and it also creates predictability then within the investment for investors as well. That's fantastic. And you mentioned, of course, the bond versus stock portfolio allocation piece. But then if we look at equities specifically, right, there's a different geographies like the Canada, the US, the emerging markets, the developed international. When it comes to asset allocation within sort of that equity bucket, right, where we look at all those different geographic areas, do you use the same sort of methodology as well? Where if the weight is off, like, let's say you want to be X percent in Canada, and it's off by a certain amount, then you automatically rebalance to it. Do you use that same methodology? Yes. As I mentioned, we will hold the Canadian equities uh, to 30% and rebalance similarly to what we would do within that 2% threshold back to that 30%. Now, the rest of the, apart from Canada, the rest of the equity allocation, as well as there is a home bias on the fixed income side, apart from those set amounts, the rest of equity and fixed income allocations will move in line with market cap. And so similar to just indexed products, as markets increase or decrease in value, those will be set really by the market and by the market cap weighting. And so apart from Canada, we do not hold a, a fixed amount in, let's say, U.S. equities or international equities. That will be set by our passive approach with these products and the use of passive products in the underlying. So I think important point here, fixed income and equity allocation, that will be held within that 2% threshold. The Canada equity weighting, that target weight will be held as well. But beyond that, uh, the product will move based on market cap in the underlying markets. Okay, wonderful. And a dilemma that I'm sure many Canadians face is whether they should use an asset allocation ETF for their entire portfolio or whether they should split it up and buy individual ETFs instead to get a slightly lower cost and increase tax efficiency by being able to place the individual ETFs in the account that is most efficient for that ETF. Is there a certain threshold in terms of portfolio size or maybe something else where you think Canadians should consider switching from an asset allocation ETF to individual ETFs? So it's a, it's a great question. And I think it likely depends on each individual in terms of their investment acumen, their level of sophistication, their ability to maintain the discipline within their allocations to rebalance. You know, one of the benefits that you do get with Vanguard handling the rebalancing is that you are leveraging our investment teams around the world as well to be able to find execution in terms of trading the underlying. So that is a benefit. I will say for most investors, the cost, if you were to look at trying to do this on your own through the underlyings versus using an asset allocation ETF is a matter of a few basis points. And for that, I think many investors say, you know, I'll outsource that portion to Vanguard and their investment teams. I think the part that's underestimated with the rebalancing as well and the set it and forget it approach is that it removes behavioral finance portion of investing. And so when we talk about the discipline that automatic rebalancing provides, you know, without that, there is the potential to make mistakes, the risk of action or the risk of inaction when markets move up or down, I think that's underestimated as well. So if U.S. equities or Canadian equities are rallying, would investors be willing to balance? Will this lead to biases, a suboptimal portfolio over time that has unintended overweights, underweights, biases? I think the automatic rebalancing for the financial discipline, investment discipline that that creates is a benefit apart from just the cost savings. That's such an excellent point. I, I know, at least for myself, it's so easy to get fixated on all the tax efficiency and you slice your MER by this little amount, right? And it's very fun to try to do that. But I'm really glad you brought up that, yes, there are these additional, maybe softer parts that we also need to consider that can be really, really critical, right? Like as there's all these temptations, if you are buying the individual ETFs, and obviously the media a lot of times doesn't really help with that, right? We're talking about things being overvalued or undervalued. And when is the next crash coming? And, you know, the sky is falling mentality and all these kinds of things. It's so easy to get sucked into that. You really have to have your defenses up. Whereas with these asset allocation ETFs, you're pretty much 
almost completely removing that, right? At least from a rebalancing perspective. So that's a great point. Yes, creates that long-term discipline. For sure. And now a quick message from one of our sponsors. No one has a business like yours with all its strengths and challenges. This Small Business Month, you need a hiring partner that adapts to your needs. You need Indeed. With Indeed, you don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it with just Indeed. You can also find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. One thing that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place easy because it does the hard work for you. Sponsor job and boom, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. And according to Talent Nest 2019, Indeed delivers eight times more hires in Canada than all other job sites combined. So start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed dot com slash build wealth. The offer is good for a limited time. Again, you can claim your $100 credit now at indeed.com slash build wealth. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And now back to the show. Is there a certain portfolio amount where you would say, look, it's not worth your time to bother with picking individual ETFs and you should just get an asset allocation ETF, right? Because the difference in MER is relatively small and you don't really see significant amounts saved unless your portfolio is like well into the six figures, I would argue, right? And then same thing with like the withholding tax, tax efficiencies, right? If you take it that far, like we're talking, you know, a percent of a percent kind of changes, right? Savings, which sure are great if your portfolio is really well into the six figures. But I mean, what do we say to people that are very gung-ho about all of this? They really want to optimize right from the very, very beginning, want to have the lowest MER possible, you know, that are very kind of zealous in all of this. Like myself, I believe now, like when I started investing personally, asset allocation ETFs didn't exist. And so I had to do, even though my portfolio was small when I first started, there was no asset allocation ETFs that I could have chosen. And so I had to do the individual ones. But now these are available to investors. And like I've been saying, if your portfolio is under 100K, don't even like consider, like just go ask allocation ETFs. It's really not worth your time. Even 100K, I think might even be a little too low, like 200K, I would kind of even gear more towards that. And that's not even to say you should do it at 200K. It's more like, fine, if you really want to optimize, maybe have it on your radar, maybe start going down that rabbit hole and research if it's the right for you. But I think there is an amount, right, where it's like, this is just really not worth your time, because you're going to save like $50. And you're spending hours and hours researching and figuring this out. Well, what's your take on that? Because I'm really trying to have a good guideline for people because it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, so I do think it may be a very individual decision. Now, obviously, those few extra basis points with us handling the rebalancing on the larger dollar amounts, that does then uh, create a savings. But I really do think it's really based on the individual, the tools, resources, the time, the investment acumen, level of sophistication, the comfort level with being able to do this on their own. And I would say that for most investors, individual investors specifically, they would, you know, what we've seen, prefer to pay the few extra basis points to have that certainty, that peace of mind in terms of the rebalancing being handled for them. And then also, these may be, for other investors, a portion of a larger portfolio within that core satellite approach that also requires maintenance and requires rebalancing as well. So it may be more involved than just the these all-in-one ETFs. But I would say for most, this is you know the rebalancing that is instilled within the product is the choice that many individual investors are making. For sure. I've noticed even a little bit of an interesting shift where I'm obviously pretty involved in this community here in Canada. And then I speak to a lot of different bloggers and podcasters in the space who, you know, have been doing this for a while. They are sophisticated enough. They feel comfortable rebalancing themselves. Their portfolios are substantial. And even some of them are basically saying, look, yeah, I could do it myself. I know how to do it. I feel confident. Yes, it would save me some money, but it's just so convenient to have an asset allocation ETF that, yeah, it's going to cost me a few more basis points, but it makes investing so painless that they still opt to do the asset allocation ETF, even though they are fully capable and educated enough and their portfolio is big enough. One could argue that, no, you really should break it down into individual ETFs, get those you know 
tax efficiencies and get that MER even lower, but they still choose to not do that just because it's such a small price to pay for all those benefits that you've already mentioned. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. And I just trying to echo the point that this is not just for beginner level investors, right? There are very sophisticated investors with very large portfolios that just don't want to have to always rebalance their portfolio and do the calculations. And so this can actually be a really good fit for them also. I agree. And we do say that the products are, they're outwardly simplistic. They're ETFs of ETFs. They're packaged as a one ticket solution for investors. But for our investment strategy teams that come up with the allocation, uh, the initial allocation, and are continuing to monitor, as well as our investment management teams, there is an inward level of sophistication to the products that I think gets overlooked as well. So it's an interesting point, but I do think we are seeing many investors, individual investors gravitating towards the products as that one ticket solution. Mm -hmm. For sure. And when it comes to your asset allocation ETFs, I noticed that your allocations definitely differ from your main competitor, which I would consider to be iShares. Can you take us through how your asset allocation ETFs are different from iShares and why you believe your methodology is superior? Sure. First of all, I will just say a long track record and expertise in multi-asset solutions globally. And so we do manage over a trillion dollars in AUM in multi-asset solutions. If you were to look at our asset allocation ETFs here in Canada, they are the broadest in terms of market coverage. So investing in over 95% of the global investable market, and that includes global bonds. And that's a key differentiator, the importance of not only just high quality bonds in a portfolio as a ballast to help dampen volatility and diversify from your equity investment, not only just with having bonds in the portfolio, but then also global bonds. And so you do see it's an imperfect correlation between Canadian bonds and global bonds. And so what that tells you is that it does provide a diversification benefit on the fixed income side. So for instance, when interest rates rise, global portfolio tends to perform better than an all Canadian portfolio that's only comprised of Canadian bonds. So I think that's a unique differentiator. I mentioned our global breadth. We do have, even within our passive portfolios, we do have credit research team with the objective to match the key risks of the benchmark with a, a passive product. This doesn't necessarily involve buying every bond within the index. And so our credit analyst team are looking at fundamentals, liquidity, pricing relative value. So they are selecting, even within that large universe of thousands and thousands of bonds, what they think are the best fit bonds while still maintaining the key risks of the benchmark. So I think our ability to leverage even within the index space, our credit research team is a huge differentiator. I mentioned the, the market cap weighting outside of Canada. We are not targeting a weight, so we're allowing market cap movements. When you look at competing products, there are target weights, which can lead to uh, you know, small overweights, underweight biases, which we were trying and are trying to remove through our market cap weight there. So those are some of the key differentiators and we're looking at cost as well on multiple spectrums, not only just the management fee and MER, but also the trading costs to investors. And when they buy one of the asset allocation ETFs on the exchange, ensuring that there's appropriate liquidity. And what we find is given the size and scale and adoption of the products, the trading costs are very, very competitive and lead the industry in the spaces where we compete the asset allocation side. So those would be some of the, the key differentiators versus competitors within this space. I think the breadth of coverage within the product is likely the most meaningful. Awesome. Thank you. And DIY investors that classify themselves as total market index investors, they often hear that their equity asset allocation should be based on market cap weights. And you've already mentioned how you guys use market cap weights a lot. So for example, since Canada is only roughly 2.4% of the world markets, then only 2.4% of our portfolio should be in Canada. You know, however, when we look at the asset allocation ETFs of Vanguard and your competitors as well, like you already mentioned, we do notice that Canada is overrepresented. So there is a bit of a home country bias. And I know there is a reason you do this and Vanguard has done research on this. So can you take us through why your weights don't actually try to exactly match the market cap weights when it comes to Canada? Sure. And when we look at 
that overweight and that home bias. I do think there's some art and there's some science to the allocation to Canada. And first and foremost, what we look at is investor preference. And so our portfolios comprised of a home bias. And in this instance, we can take Canadian equities. So do Canadian investors overweight Canada within their portfolios? And we do find that there is investor preference and that number is coming down. So I think the benefits of global are being recognized in terms of investments and the diversification benefit that that provides. But there still is that home bias, likely larger than 30% where we've set the number in terms of Canadian equities. In our research, we do find that that can exceed 40% in terms of the home bias and often even more than that. And so we first start there and then you look at what are the investment implications for this home bias? Does it create more volatility, more concentration? How does the risk return profile of the portfolio change by investing more in Canadian equities? You actually find as it relates to Canada and the global equity market, you do find that the benefits of being global decrease at a certain point. And so if you start looking at 100% global equity portfolio market cap weighted versus adding different allocations to Canadian equities, 10%, 20%, 30%, by the time you get to 30% Canadian equities, where we have the home bias, 70% global, this is actually the point where you see volatility is the lowest and provides that optimal risk return in the portfolio. And that's why we selected this. So we do think there may be opportunities to continue to look at this, potentially change over time. But for right now, we're comfortable with that 30% based on the research that we've done on investor preference and also the investment implications that we looked at So that's how we ended up with that overweight. And if I remember correctly, I think you guys actually published a white paper or something of that sort on the subject, right, of home country bias in Canada. Is that something you guys still have and that's something we could link out to for all the listeners? We do. And so we have that white paper. It's out on our website. It talks about the asset allocation ETFs as well as the decisions made, such as home bias and the rationale behind that the data and the supporting information. And it is a, I think, interesting paper and really outlines the thought process behind constructing these portfolios. That sounds great. I'll get in touch with yourself once the interview is over and you can send me the link and I'll be sure to link out to it in the show notes as well for all the listeners if they want to dive deeper into the sort of the reasoning, the rationale behind why with Canada, it's a bit of a different story and why you chose to do it that way. So yeah, it's very interesting. One kind of minor question I had as a follow-up to that is I noticed when I pulled the market cap weights for the US using kind of the tool that I used, it was a bit different than what you guys are using, but you said you do use market cap weights for US. So I'm guessing maybe we're just using different data sets. Likely. It's likely just a case of different data sets. Like definitions or yeah. Different definitions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If there are yeah, and I'm happy to follow up if there are large discrepancies and take a closer look. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the data source you're using is better than mine. You guys are Vanguard after all, <laughs> versus, you know, my kind of consumer retail investor level research. <laughs> sure. So I will take your number as the accurate one for sure. It wasn't off by a oh. lot, but it was off by, it was different by a bit. But I figured it was off by a small enough of an amount where I'm like, okay, they're probably just using, you know, different definitions or just just calculating it all differently. But I mean, it was nothing really significant, unlike, you know, the Canada piece, which is very significant, but you've already explained why that is and the reasoning for doing so. I think we're all good on that front. One particular ETF that I'm sure has caught the attention of many retirees or, you know, even soon to be retirees is the Vanguard Retirement Income ETF. So VRIF, VRIF. Can you explain what this ETF is and the pros and cons of using it versus just holding a more traditional core total market index portfolio, like a VGRO or a VBAL, for example? Sure. So our retirement income product was developed after really taking a look at all the products within the accumulation phase of investing. So uh, there is an overweight to that phase of accumulating wealth. And I think there are fewer decumulation products in the marketplace for those investors that either need income, steady stream of income, or have entered the retirement and drawdown phase. And so we launched our VRIF, which is the the ticker, Retirement Income ETF, about a year ago. It's been very, very popular. It takes a total return approach. 
and sets a 4% annual payout target of that portfolio. And so it does still use underlying passive ETFs to achieve that 4% annual payout, but it does provide a consistent dollar number throughout the year and a sustainable income stream over time. So it ensures investors can properly plan for their spending needs through that set payout. And I would say it is different from if investors are looking at a goal of growth, then the other asset allocation ETFs that we discussed earlier would be most appropriate, where you pick the risk tolerance or pick the product most appropriately tied to your risk tolerance. Whereas with the retirement income fund, that's really you know for investors looking for consistency of income through its what we call time varying approach. And so it will then, as opposed to a passive approach, although it uses passive ETFs, it will move those weights in those passive ETFs based on our forecasted return model to achieve that 4%. So slightly different in terms of strategy and in terms of the intended outcome. Mm -hmm. That is very fascinating. Yeah. So it sounds like the really big benefit here of that particular ETF is that it does remove some of that really large complexity that retirees have because once you enter that decumulation phase, you now have to, okay, I've got dividends coming in, let's say every quarter, but that's not probably not going to be enough to fund my lifestyle. And so I now need to sell some of my ETFs off to generate that cash flow, get my capital gains, that kind of a thing. And I mean, that's quite the exercise, right? To do that, am I withdrawing it at a sustainable rate? And I mean, that's a whole other thing. And I mean, there's a whole industry of financial planners whose job it is to help you manage that, right? So it's very, very interesting that you've created a product that helps simplify that for people. Because yeah, for a money nerd like myself, I actually enjoy you know, the tinkering piece, right? But I imagine for the overwhelming majority of the Canadian retired population, that's not something that they want to do on their free time, right? They probably like right. that stability of, okay, I'm going to get X amount of money every payout. It's coming this at this sort of frequency. And it gives them a lot more stability in terms of the just sort of an anticipating cash flow, right? So that's wonderful. And I'm glad you mentioned the sort of, I guess, con of it, which is, okay, it, there's clearly pros to it. But the con is that you're not realistically going to get the sort of higher expected return that you can expect with something like, you know, like a typical asset al- core asset allocation ETF. Did I interpret that correctly? That's exactly right. And so, uh, you know, obviously, the allocation would be roughly you know, at the moment, 50% equity, 50% fixed income. So it does look at capital preservation. It looks at, you know, that sustainable income target and achieving that. And it's through a tax efficient manager. So tax efficient manner, which includes, you know, dividends, any interest income from bonds, and then capital appreciation. So that's the starting point in terms of meeting that 4% target. And in the off chance or in the exception on an exceptions basis, looking at, uh, you know, potential return of capital, but we back tested in most, I think nine out of 10 years, that would not be the case. So tax efficiency as well, I think is embedded within the product. Now the fixed income portion of the ETF is pretty high. I think you said it was, was it 50%? That's right. Yeah. So especially, you know, the rates, what they are now and what bonds are yielding and all that, right? I can see that high but fixed income allocation being maybe a concern for some, you know, people worrying about inflation, longevity risk, that kind of thing. So for somebody that finds this appealing because of the pros we've already talked about, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like this is an ETF that can be very useful for giving that stability, but you probably still want maybe some other asset allocation ETFs that are maybe a bit higher on the equity side, just to kind of help with that longevity risk component. Would you agree? Or do you really think this is like, could potentially be like the only ETF you need as a retiree? What are your thoughts on that? I think once again, individual decision, it may form a portion. It is, I think, a product that is designed to meet the needs of a broad base of of investors. But within that investor pool, you may have a segment that has different drawdown needs, or that may be using this in addition to other products as well. And I think that's a fair conclusion. It may not be for all investors, the only solution that they have for meeting an income target. But you mentioned within the the fixed income exposure as well, the the product does, our investment management teams do have based on 
our forward-looking analysis, do you have the ability to move there or you know slightly shift the portfolio, whether that's duration, whether that's from corporates into governments or vice versa. So there is greater flexibility for investment teams to meet that 4%. And we think that's a very conservative target and achievable uh, an achievable target in through the back-tested data in the majority of instances in years. So we'll continue to look at that on an annual basis. But for right now, we've set that at 4%. And I think your conclusion, to answer your question, that this may be used in conjunction with other investment vehicles mm-hmm. is likely correct as well. Gotcha. Yeah, so it sounds like a very sort of situational thing, realistically or practically speaking, you'd probably want to meet with your, let's say, fee-for-service financial planner, you look at your needs, like you said, your different sort of cash flow needs that you have, and do you want to leave a big sort of asset pool at the end of your life, you know, for your children, that kind of a thing, or not? Like all these different variable financial planning variables come into play. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. How we can't just paint it with a broad brush strokes and say yes, this is the only ETF you need, or no, you cannot only hold this one. Really, like you said, it's very situational depending on your circumstances and what kind of drawdown you want to have, whether you want to how big of an estate you want there to be upon your death. I'm sure all these other factors that a, a good fee-for-service financial plan can help you with. And then you can kind of decide, okay, do we go all in on this one? Or do we actually want to be, okay, have some in this to me. Maybe have some in VRIF to cover our essential needs, but then also have something that's a bit more on the higher equity side to help us with longevity risk, right? So yeah, like you said, very customized for each person. Exactly right. The level of complexity will differ for each individual. Goals, needs... Those will all vary. But to your point, this is where a financial advisor can add a a ton of value to help navigate through that within the decumulation phase and retirement phase Mm. for many investors. For sure. A good unbiased financial advisor that's not trying to sell you their firm's (laughs) mutual funds, high mutual funds on the side to get a high commission, right? But someone that actually analyzed those numbers for you, right? As opposed to try to steer you away from these low-cost solutions because they, they're earning a commission on the back end, right? So I always want to do that caveat just because I hear so many horror stories of people uh, sort of having, trusting their advisor a little too much, right? And they actually just end up being salesperson in disguise, essentially. So I always like to throw that little caveat in there. Hey there, just a really quick intermission to ask if you could please leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying this episode and are using one of those as your podcast player. It really helps other Canadians discover the show and it makes it much easier for me to get top-notch guests on the show for you. So if you're a Spotify user, you just have to select the show in Spotify and scroll all the way to the top and there you'll see a button where you can give the show a star rating. It literally takes seconds and it helps an absolute ton. So thank you so much for supporting the show in that way. And now back to the show. One of the your ETFs that I'm a big fan of is VUN, the Vanguard US Total Market Index ETF. And now traditionally Vanguard and iShares tend to have almost identical fees or the MER when it comes to total market index investing. However, I've had several listeners ask why in the case of VUN, its main competing ETF, which I would say is XUU from iShares, is 0.07% MER, whereas Vanguard is more than double at 0.16% MER. And now I, I do realize that these are both still really low MERs, especially when we compare them to the you know traditional mutual funds that tend to have MERs of 2% plus. But I was wondering if this sort of uncommon discrepancy in fees is something that is on Vanguard's radar. And is Vanguard considering matching iShares like it has in the past with many of its other ETFs? And one of the, I would say, if we just talk about our structure really quickly, we are a parent company, the Vanguard Group, mutually owned company. It really means that the investors in our funds actually have ownership in the company, if you will. And so economies of scale that are gained through the growth of our funds are returned to end investors in the form of lower expense ratios. So we do have a long history lowering expense ratios in Canada and globally. If we start with just the MER, our asset weighted MER for ETFs in Canada is closer to 17 basis points. So much lower than the industry average of 41 basis points and 28 basis points for some of our closest competitors. So we will continue to look at passing the economies of scale to end investors. We're here to give investors the best chance of investment success and continue to monitor to monitor that economy of scale and the ability to do that. I will say that 
we do look at cost, and many investors are increasingly looking at cost across number of variables and across a spectrum of factors, including not only the management expense ratio, but also those costs that eat away from your return. When you look at the return over time, that may be you know, the spreads on exchange. So your bid offer spread, what we call your trading cost for placing a trade uh, or executing a trade in the secondary market. The trading costs and the skill of portfolio management teams with additions, with deletions into a portfolio, the ability to execute those trades efficiently, to manage those types of situations very efficiently, that saves end investors over the long term as well, a portion of their return and adds up. So skill of portfolio management team, index selection, how it's constructed, how they handle different events. Is it cost effective? So, you know, we understand the importance of low MERs, but there are other aspects that we can't forget about as well that lead to more return for investors, a better client experience over time. And in this particular example, if you look over five years, although there's a difference in MER, do compare favorably on return versus this particular product. So it's just not, it just underscores the point. I think that not all ETFs are built the same way. There is, although passive investment, many people go to the management fee and think that, you know, all portfolios are built, constructed and traded consistently and that there's not a lot of differentiation. There is differentiation, obviously, our heritage and our history with passive investments, I think, provides a unique level of expertise. So the total return that an investor receives and all of those costs and variables are important to consider as well. That is a great point because I've definitely seen ETFs where, okay, they're both, let's say, saying this is a total market index ETF for, let's say, the U.S., and then one has a lower MER than the other, but the one with the higher MER, like, you know, slightly higher MER, actually has had a higher total return because of all these other factors that are also coming into play, right? So I'm glad you bring that up, how, yes, MER is important. And especially in Canada, we have to be so diligent with the MER, right? Because so many Canadians have gotten really hurt by these really high MERs that they've experienced on a lot of these active mutual funds. But I'm really glad you bring up the point how, yes, that is an important factor, but there are other variables at play that are kind of behind the scenes. And like you said, they actually can impact the total return. And so we have to factor that in. So yeah, so thank you for that. I appreciate the clarification. Now, this next question is a bit technical, but for Canadian investors that are really trying to optimize their portfolio, whether stocks are held directly or through an ETF in another country like the US becomes important due to the two layers of withholding tax that we have to pay if we're holding international stocks through US listed ETF. So would the Vanguard International ETF, so VEE and VIU, are the international companies now held directly instead of through a US listed ETF? And if not, is that something that Vanguard is looking into changing in the future so that Canadian investors no longer have to endure those two layers of dividend withholding tax? And it's a great question. Through our product team, we are regularly looking at, and I mentioned all those factors that contribute to a better outcome for investors. We are consistently looking at that. One of those decisions that we often make and look at through the product development process is whether to invest, as you mentioned, in the underlying market, so all of the individual securities within that market, or utilize an ETF that may exist that provides liquidity, scale, cost efficiency. And so the trade-off is obviously the withholding tax, but what you're able to save in withholding tax, do you lose on being able to trade in that international market when you move to the local securities and trading those local equities. So we often do this cost-benefit analysis. And where we've landed for the majority of our ETFs outside of, of North America and our international exposures, we, including VIU that you mentioned, developed markets ETF, we have unwrapped and moved to the underlying markets in terms of investment. Now, as we move away from developed markets into a situation like emerging markets, we are wrapping our U.S. domiciled ETF, which is one of the most liquid ETFs in the world. It trades at a very, very tight trading cost, especially relative to the underlying market. So even more cost efficient than 
by investing in the ETF than trying to invest in all those underlying individual names. And so we still think within a market like the emerging markets or a region like the emerging markets, the ability to utilize our U.S. domiciled ETF in those instances or in that instance makes sense. So we are we are doing that within emerging markets. But as I mentioned, outside of North America, the majority of products are now, I think, unwrapped and, and emerging markets would be the exception and something that we continue to look at if we can ensure that it provides better cost and a better experience for end investors. Awesome. Thank you. And Vanguard is seen by many Canadians as the pioneer when it comes to passive total market index investing, especially with your founder, Jack Bogle, being such a strong supporter of total market index investing. I noticed, however, that Vanguard also has an active investing division. Can you tell us more about that? As typically, active investing is viewed by DIY passive index investors as the complete opposite of you know, passive total market index investing. Sure. I think we are largely recognized for our passive investments and as an index manager. But what many people may not know is that our first 11 funds, Vanguard's first 11 funds as a company in the mid-70s, were actually actively managed. So we have a long history of active dating back over 45 years, over $2 trillion in assets under management in active funds as well currently. So more than a quarter of our assets at the moment are actively managed products. So we do have a long track record. We do have a heritage of active as well at being the third largest provider of, of actively managed strategies in the world. So never question about active or passive. It's not necessarily a binary decision. We do see active and passive being used by many investors. And for us, it's really just a story of being able to provide low-cost, high-value products within the active and passive space. And particularly within active, the largest determining factor, what we found the largest determining factor to be for your future success in active is cost. And so our ability to provide through our size, through our scale, through our relationships with the world's largest active managers, provide low-cost products, disrupt the active market in Canada, give more investors. We know it's a market that certainly the assets would show has a propensity for actively managed strategies. It's an ability for us to disrupt that market and give more investors the chance of investment success on the active side, similar to what we did when we entered the ETF space 10 years ago. So in Canada, do you guys have active ETFs or active mutual funds, or do you have both? We have both. So we see them as complementary products. We do have what we would call quantitative active strategies that are in ETF format. And so those are managed internally through our quantitative equities group. So global value would be an example of an ETF that we offer in that space that's active. Now, we also offer on the mutual fund side, three years ago, we launched four mutual funds using sub-advisors that we've partnered with and have a partnership with. From around the world, we've brought those flagship products, those best-in-class managers to Canada, some of our proven strategies with long track record and history. And I heard that you guys have a different structure when it comes to mutual funds, something that's kind of unique to Vanguard. Can you talk about that a bit? So with in other markets, we would have a multi-share class structure where the ETF is a share class off of a, a larger pool of assets. Here in Canada, we offer both mutual funds and ETFs. We do, I think the, the key differentiators there in terms of what we're offering on the mutual, mutual fund side, you mentioned bringing flagship managers to Canada, largest institutional managers in the world that we're able to provide to Canadian investors advisors, retail investors, institutional pricing. So leveraging the size and scale that we have with those existing relationships, unique approach with the talent, our ability to source talent with our managers, low cost patients. That's really a recipe for success in the active space. And then also, I would just say the one other unique differentiator, pricing about a third of what you would see within actively managed strategies in Canada. But also that price will move what, what you pay based on 
your experience and your returns. And so it's capped at 50 basis points, but if there's outperformance, it will move up slightly towards 50 basis points, still very low cost. And if you underperform, for whatever reason, our managers underperform, we will actually move the management fee in the other direction and it will move in line with the returns you receive. So really aligning best interest of our investors with what we're trying to do on the active side and our manager's performance. So I think that's unique to Canada. But to your original question, the multi-share class structure is more centered within the U.S. in terms of the structure. And regarding the mutual fund piece, obviously the ETFs you could just buy on the open market, right? But for the, on the mutual fund side in Canada, how would you go about researching, learning more about those and even purchasing them as well? So if you do have a relationship with an advisor, you're able to access our mutual funds through that that advisor. So individual investors can access us that way. And then also we are available on Qtrade and Questrade, those two platforms. We'd love to be on more platforms, but we also do not pay for distribution. We think that can potentially create a, a conflict of interest. So we are limited in terms of the other platforms that we are available on for individual investors to Qtrade and Questrade at this moment in time. Gotcha. And then when you say active, when I'm thinking of factor investing, like from a French five-factor model, that kind of thing, would you guys put that in the sort of active category? And do you have anything sort of around that where people want to sort of tilt towards certain factors? Or are you talking like sort of the more traditional definition of, I guess, active, or at least what I would call more traditional is, is like, okay, we believe we can beat the market here. We have active managers that specialize in this and here are the funds. So it, if you were to look at the ETF range, it would be factor investing. So we talked about global value and we would look at, I would say it's more rules-based active, look at different screens and factors to be able to select that universe. And so on that spectrum, of active, we would offer the the factors within the ETF range, and you would be able to certainly see what we offered there, all the way to traditional active, you know, looking at stock picking through our sub-advisors. So on that spectrum of, of active, we would, a variety of offerings, ETFs being for factors, and then more when we think about traditional active through sub-advisors and their teams with stock selection that would be within our mutual funds. Okay, great. And when I spoke to someone on your team, they told me that Vanguard believes that having a combination of both active and passive funds plays a critical role in a well-diversified investment portfolio. Can you comment on that? Sure. So when we talk about just the active products that we have, I think we take a unique approach. We take a multi-manager approach to many of our sub-advised practice, sub-advised funds. On the active side, we'll, we'll link to managers together and uh, with complementary approaches that can help smooth the ride in terms for investors. So that's one of the things we do. And then also we offer more global products in terms of diversification and a global balance product that includes not only global equities, but global bonds as well. And so we believe that diversification, even within the active space, whether that's manager, whether that's asset class, or whether that's breadth of securities is important. And how have Vanguard's mutual funds performed since they launched? I believe that was in 2018. That's correct. So if you look at global balance, you know, it's performed with a return of uh, since inception, 8.75%. So it it does look at 35% fixed income, 65% equities to come up with that balanced exposure. And managed by Wellington, it is in the first quartile in terms of global equity balance categories since inception. So positive story there. Global dividend. Similar positive returns of over 5%. They're in the first quartile of global equity funds year-to-date in 2021. And then we have our U.S. value, the Windsor U.S. value product managed by Wellington and Pizina. And that has returned 9.94% since inception, ahead of its benchmark after fees. As value has roared back, fund is in the first decile of the U.S. equity category in Canada. And then finally, you know, a product that's received quite a bit of attention, our international growth product has returned 16.78% since inception. And it's been a top performing fund in the top decile of funds in its category since inception, outperforming the benchmark by over 11% since inception. But that's a small snapshot of what we're offering within the active space. And we believe that, as I mentioned, the factors of success, talents, 
being able to source, you know, best in class managers, cost, low cost, and then the patients as well. So although we have a positive story here, we would also say that, that, you know, we're continuing to the long term in terms of returns and patients being important as there is cyclicality in equities and in the markets as well, but a good story across the board. And to finish things off, can you tell us about the different resources available on your site for investors? The, I know the asset allocation tool is one really popular one that I refer investors to a lot. Other popular white papers, tools, or guides that you'd recommend to DIY investors to take a look at here in Canada? Sure. We have a wealth of information for investors and you know that's both DIY investors or advisors information on all of our products, you know, ETFs and mutual funds, but also information on the current market environment. We provide research, forward-looking analysis, commentary on, on the markets, practical information on trading ETFs, implementing ETFs into a portfolio, best practices on portfolio construction. So as I mentioned, a wealth of information and research there's tools to compare funds, to build simulated portfolios. If you're an advisor, we also have practice management tools to help you with your relationships with your clients. And we try to be a holistic provider and take a consultative approach beyond product, whether that's with individual investors or advisors with our value proposition, with our offering. So wealth of information out on the website. We're just scratching the surface on this podcast, but but certainly plenty to review and available there. Sounds good. And I assume the best place for that is just vanguard.ca, which is the Canadian version, basically, of Vanguard, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Sounds good. Okay, great. Yeah, I always want to make that distinction because there's also the Vanguard US one, right? But vanguard.ca is the Canadian arm. And most of the listeners of the podcast here are, are from Canada. So definitely wanted to mention that. And is there anything new at Vanguard in the last 12 months or anything coming up that you'd like us Canadian investors to be aware of? No, I, you know, I, we are seeing, I think we covered a lot of the main topics. We are seeing growth in our asset allocation ETFs, growth in our active mutual fund range and increased interest there. I will say over the past year and a half, there's certainly no shortage of, of data, of information available to end investors. And we would just reiterate the importance of staying balanced not overextending yourself from a risk perspective with your asset allocation decisions and, and really maintaining the discipline. Given all the news, maybe some of the short-term themes that we've seen with whether that's individual stocks or otherwise, we would just say setting a plan, not letting the headlines and the current news distract you from that plan is always a good rule of thumb. And so, as I mentioned, number of on the website as well, I think we have a number of resources that really provide you with perspective that enables you to do that. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll get in touch with you and the team after the interview, and I'll be sure to link out to some of those resources in the show notes as well. I know Vanguard's referenced a lot in the investing community here in Canada. When you guys do publish some of these white papers, they're very high quality research. So definitely, I did want to provide all the listeners with that so they have an easy way to access it. So definitely for everybody listening, check out the show notes, buildwolfcanada.ca. If you go there, you'll see the episode and then click on there and I'll be sure to link out to the ones that you should definitely check out. So Tim, thanks so much for coming on. This has been great. It's fun to actually have someone right from Vanguard here in Canada on talk and really answer some of these questions that both I had and that I've received from lots of listeners over the years as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate the time and Cornell, thank you as well. I appreciate being able to share our story today. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, Tim. All right, a big thanks to Tim for coming on. Don't forget to join me at the Fall Into ETFs Investing event happening really soon, starting October the 21st. You can sign up to join me live over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash fall. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash fall, F-A-L-L. And a big thanks to Indeed for sponsoring this episode. No one has a business like yours with all its strengths and challenges. This Small Business Month, you need a hiring partner that adapts to your needs. You need Indeed. With Indeed, you don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it with just Indeed. You can also find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. Indeed's hiring platform helps you easily schedule and conduct 
virtual interviews all in one place. And if you hate waiting, according to Indeed data, candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three and a half times more likely to apply to your job than those who only see it in search. One thing that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place easy because it does the hard work for you. Sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows your candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post. With Instant Match, you can start hiring fast. And according to Talent Nest 2019, Indeed delivers eight times more hires in Canada than all other job sites combined. Start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at indeed.com slash build wealth. Offer good for a limited time. Again, you can claim your $100 credit now at indeed.com slash build wealth. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.